Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, a comeback that ultimately was not meant to be as the Knicks tied it up in the final minutes against the Cleveland Cavaliers before ultimately falling 95-93. to More heartbreak, Alex. What are we going to get into? We got a lot to get into, unfortunately. We'll talk about uh, maybe some end-game execution, uh, free-throw shooting woes that really were a, a huge, huge shot in the foot for the Knicks tonight. But there's some positives. We'll talk about Quentin Grimes, how great he was on defense. We'll talk about R.J. Barrett, again, having a fantastic game. And, you know, try to balance out the the bad with the good, considering ultimately this was a uh, loss against a uh, one of the top teams in the East right now. But enough about this. We'll get into it next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team Every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I am Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the greatest Knicks website out there, The Strickland. And we wanted to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today. And every day we are now available on all platforms, including, and I'd be shocked if you didn't know this yet, as we say it at the beginning of every show, but some people only listen every once in a while. Maybe, maybe some Cavs fans. Uh, we are now on YouTube, and please subscribe. We are getting closer and closer to 1,000 a number we would love to hit. Um, yeah, and we, we would really, really appreciate it if you went ahead and did that. So, Alex, uh, we, we, we got into it a little um, in, our, in our little pre-show discussion, but a brutal 95-93 to loss to the Cleveland Cavaliers for the New York Knicks. Uh, the Knicks were down by 15 in the fourth quarter. They fought all the way back to tie the game at 91. But as has happened so often this year, the late game execution was lacking and the Knicks could not complete their comeback against the shorthanded Cavs. Yeah, I, and, you know, I, I didn't love what we saw at the very end of the game. Now, to be clear, you know, that there is something to be said. The, the execution leading up to the final couple possessions was really good, including the one where, I mean, I cannot fault the Knicks at all for what happened with Garland's final shot. That was just awesome clutch shot making by Darius Garland. Of course, if you didn't watch the game, I I hate to have to describe it in, in brutal detail, but uh, the Cavs went up for a, up for an attempt at the rim. Uh, it bounces a little weird and Evan Mobley is able to secure the offensive rebound. He kicks it out to Darius Garland who pulls a shot fake, which RJ Barrett bites on, which why would you not? And then RJ actually recovered quite nicely as, as well as he possibly could with that sort of uh, overshooting uh, contest that he had and manages to still kind of get a hand in Garland's face, but he gets off a, a corner three to put the Cavs up in the final uh, minute or so of the game. And, but the Knicks, you know, were not without their chances here. And they, I just think, really didn't do well with them, Gavin. You know, we were, we were talking a little bit before we started recording and the two things to me that stood out one, you know, you take a timeout after uh, a, a missed free throw, which kept the game as a two point game um, when the Knicks had, you know, gotten to the the fouling for free throws stage of the game here. And 
so you're only down two. You get a possession with, I forget exactly how many seconds were left on the clock, but like plenty, like 15 seconds or so, uh, maybe even slightly more than that. And you advance the ball to half court. Force, first off, like they almost screwed up the inbound, and Quentin Grimes had to remind Julius Randle that he's allowed to go into the backcourt on this inbound, uh, which Julius still didn't do on the next one. But the plan was essentially just get Julius the ball uh, which didn't make any sense because then in the in the post game comments, Tibbs said something to the effect when he got asked by Rebecca Harlow that oh yeah the plan was for RJ to get the ball and drive in towards the hoop and try to generate something there. What ends up happening is you inbound it to Julius Randall who kind of just pounded the ball in the sand for like almost ten seconds, leaving not a lot of time left, and he you know doesn't even really do much to break down Dean Wade, his, his defender. Uh, and then eventually sort of drifts towards RJ to pull his defender over a little bit, passes it to RJ. And then RJ has to take a pretty contested three because it was just kind of the best shot available to him at the time. Uh, I just, I didn't love that. And then the final play of the game, the Knicks did manage to get it back one more time with uh, like one point one point three seconds left or something like that. And so they get one more chance at it, still couldn't get anything going. They couldn't even get anybody open for that final play. And Julius Randle ends up getting it uh, almost back towards like the the upper logo part of the court and has to take a fadeaway three-pointer from there. And it was just, I I didn't love the execution, but Gavin, I, I don't know how you felt about those final two plays, but those are what sort of stood out to me. And Mostly just because I think that after timeout plays and late game plays like that have kind of consistently been sort of unimaginative, unimaginative in the Tibbs era. And that it, this game, it really kind of bugged me because I really thought the Knicks deserved this one with the way that they played. Yeah, I thought the second to last play was the one that stood out to me even more so like with, with under two left year. I mean, again, it's a tough play regardless. Yeah, yeah. right. I mean, there's like people like Brad Stevens who are are wizards at drawing up stuff in those types of situations. But um, those kind of coaches are few and far between. And even those coaches like relatively low percentage shots. Um, I honestly, not that I like the setup of the second to last play, but I thought there was something there if RJ had just attacked the rim against Rajon Rondo. And I think it was it was a little bit of a case of hero ball, which you, you see at times I think plagued the Knicks in these types of situations. Like you could fast forward 50 seconds back. And I thought Emmanuel quickly took a really bad shot uh, with a minute 14 uh, left in the game. I think there was 15 seconds left on the shot clock and he just sort of pulled up for a 26 footer. And it's guys like, I mean, at least in my mind, like wanting to have the Kobe moment and every, every 20 or so of those chances will get RJ hitting the fadeaway banker to beat the Celtics. But most of the time, those shots will not go in, and you'll you'll be left sort of scratching your head. And, and I mean, look, given the way the Knicks' offense is run this year, there, there's a question to be said: like, is there something more efficient out there than an open, quickly 25 footer or a relatively open RJ 23 footer? And I guess you could say you don't know, but I thought RJ. I mean, he had a plus size matchup with Rondo. To your point, he was dominating this game in the third and fourth quarter, getting to the rim. I would have liked to have seen him attack the basket. Maybe you get a crash from Mobley, and you get a dump off to Nerlens Noel. Maybe you get a kick to the corner. Um, you could argue that Tibbs maybe should have taken Noel out for that play and had another shooter on the floor. And then you have a truly spread floor for RJ to attack because RJ's calculus could have been, I could get right by Rondo, but then Mobley's going to be there to swat the shot. Um, so I don't know. It's like, I, I guess I'm, I'm giving sort of a non-answer there, but I do think there were better options available than RJ just immediately jacking that three. Yeah. It's just, you know, I, I think that 
you put RJ in an awkward situation, right? Because a lot of the way that he generates offense getting to the rim like that is by using a quick screen. And he sort of just, I think, got stranded out on an island. And he knows his limitations. So, I mean, Rajon Rondo might not be who he used to be, but there's, a, I, I would say, a decent chance that Rondo would be able to slow RJ enough, uh, you know, and or poke the ball away or something like that if RJ had tried to go right to the rim from there. And, you know, I think maybe that's where his brain went of like, well, I don't have enough time to get a screen set for me. So it's pretty much either shoot this ball or bust at this point. And, you know, because I don't want to risk, you know, creating a worse shot or having it poked away from me and completely losing this possession or whatever. I think that's probably where his internal thought process was. And so he thought, you know what, I've been shooting pretty decent in the second half anyway. Uh, although certainly not from the free throw line, which we'll get to in a second. But, um, you know, maybe this is the best option for me. Didn't work out, obviously. Um, but I think we could probably real quick uh, just take our first break to let everybody know that today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. And you've been hearing me tell you guys about Prize Picks for a month. For months. Have you signed up yet? If you haven't, now is the perfect time. For a limited time, Prize Picks has an exclusive no brainer of an offer. For all of our users, users get $50 for free if a player in your first prize picks entry scores a single point, but you must use code NBA. That's right. This is an exclusive offer available to Locked On fans only who use code NBA. Prize picks has the best NBA daily fantasy sports prop game on the market. They offer more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator, and prize picks offers all the superstar players as well as bench players, only recording a handful of minutes each game. PrizePix offers any prop you can think of from points, assists, rebounds, threes made, etc. You pick two to five players and an over-under on their projections, and you can win up to 10 times on any entry, and it's just you versus the projected numbers. You know, I recently placed a flex play, play entry with RJ Barrett, uh, you know, his over for points, and an under on Emmanuel Quickly's points, which unfortunately came true, and doubled my money. It took me all of 30 seconds to make my selections. It is that easy, folks. PrizePix also allows mixed board entries, so you can take the over on Embiid, come out with the under on Rodgers, or yeah, not anymore, <laughs> on the same entry. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. PrizePix is safe and offers fast withdrawals. Go to prizepix.com today or go to your App Store and download the app. All users that deposit and use our promo code MBA will get $50 for free if your PrizePix entry scores a single point. That's right. All users that deposit and use our promo code MBA will get $50 free. If your first prize picks entry scores a single point, prize picks is daily fantasy made easy. All right, Gavin, I will uh, throw it to you coming out of the break here. What do you want to talk about? I I, <laughs> I don't want to talk about late game execution anymore because that was painful. Uh, but I'm sure the pain is not going to start going away anytime soon. Uh, what what do you want to talk about now? Yeah, I was going to say, Alex, I'm going to pile it on. Um, I, mean, I think, I think again, I, I say this a lot, but a lot of times we say like, all right, the game was lost like on this missed shot at the end. And true, but I think this game was lost a lot earlier. This game was lost in the uh, second quarter and, and a little bit in the first quarter when the Knicks transition defense was was just putrid. And the Knicks defense as a whole, um, I don't want to, I, I hesitate to say it was, the Knicks defense as a whole was really bad because there were stretches in this game were really, really good. And I thought in terms of like activity level and forcing turnovers, this was one of the Knicks best games of the season, like early in the third quarter. Um, I think Breen threw out the stat that they had forced 13 turnovers and had 19 points off of them, which we haven't seen the Knicks do a whole lot this year. But 
in terms of their connectivity and their ability to like, you, you always hear the phrase thrown out like a, a great, like great NBA defenses play on a string. Um, the Knicks were playing on like the choppiest string possible. It was maybe like a, like a, a weird, like twisted triangle. Um, it was, it was not a string. Uh, there, there was just no cohesion. And after they gave up all those layups and, and they finally fixed that, right. Which has been an issue playing them all season where guys just don't run that. Like Evan Mobley in particular, I mean, got dunk after dunk after dunk. Um, and, and sometimes offense, like what you're doing on the offensive end plays a big role in what happens in transition defense, like RJ blue, two layups that I know he went on to have a really efficient game. He certainly should have made, there was another play where Emmanuel quickly is like inexplicably crashing the glass for an offensive rebound instead of getting back on and on and on and on. The Knicks finally get that together. And then come third quarter, uh, Kevin Love is raining threes because the Knicks don't really know what they're doing um, in their pick and roll coverage. And it feel it felt like over and over again, like one guy is making a decision as if the Knicks are playing one scheme and the other guy is making a decision if the Knicks are making another scheme. Like I'm going to circle to the play that inspired um, a timeout from Tom Thibodeau. And that was when I think it was Love's like third three of the third quarter where he hit that super deep one right at the top of the key. And it was Randall and IQ doubling Garland, who was already pinned along the sideline. And if you're Julius in that situation, like I understand the instinct, like all-star point guard, but you have a guy who's just raining fire from distance. You need to get back on Kevin Love because IQ should have that handled with the sideline there as an extra defender. Instead, they double easy pass for Garland, easy three for Love. And it's just incredible to me that these types of issues haven't been ironed out. That seemed like very, very simple scheme stuff. Alex and I, you and I before the show, we're debating another play. I mean, that, that Dean Wade triple with, I think it was like just over two minutes left in the game um, where the, where, um, Breen and Brown were both sort of, uh, that sounds like a law firm, uh, complimenting the Knicks um, on, on their defense and saying, oh, just another lucky break. Wade hit it right before the shot clock buzzer. Um, you were saying, and I'll, I'll let, you, let you make your case, that like that was on Julius for like inexplicably doubling Garland with like two or three seconds left on the shot clock. I was thinking, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was R.J. Barrett, like he's the help defender in that situation. You know, the shot clock is expiring. You're helping one pass away. You're not helping two passes away. You got to get over on the shooter. And if Garland wants to make like a cross-court 27-foot pass against the double team and he can throw that on a dime, then let him do it. Instead, they leave Wade wide open and he hits the shot to beat the buzzer. Yeah, first off, shout out uh, Brendan Brown, the other half of the Breen and Brown law firm, who I think did it. He always does such a good job when he gets called up. I mean, he still kind of calls the the color commentary like a radio guy sometimes, where he kind of states the obvious, and you're like, yeah, we get it, Brendan. We can see it. But, yeah, I, you know, I think all, all in all, he's he always provides really good insight. Uh, he definitely knows ball too. Like he he talks basketball like during the broadcast, which is nice. Now, well, to like, be fair, his dad is still going at it at ninety and doing yeah. Doing so good so, yeah. So uh, you know, honestly, all right. Quick question: If you were yeah. going to pick Clyde's heir apparent for when Clyde eventually decides to hang it up, whenever that may be, isn't doesn't Brendan Brown kind of like strike? I think he's the guy. Unfortunately, I think the Knicks are trying to groom Wally for that. But I would yeah. love if they made Brendan Brown that guy. Oh man, I'm going to go out of left field. I would try and steal Sarah Kustak from the Yes broadcast. I think she's she's up there for my favorite color analyst. But uh, out of those two, you know, it's funny. Wally's sort of grown. I, I never liked Wally, but I, I always thought he was doing a bit. But now I just think he's like genuinely like that earnestly like optimistic and like kind of kitschy as he appears to be. And he's he's kind of won me over. So I'd be I'd be okay with Wally. I don't know if I'm as big of a Brendan Brown fan as you are. I, I like him. I like him just fine. But uh, he had the he had like a real death glare at the camera when they first went to him at the beginning of this game that turned me off a little. But. 
Hey, he's not used to being on camera, man. Yeah, he doesn't know what it's to tough. do. It's tough, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to do with my hands, you know, like <laughs> he's just, he doesn't know what to do. Um, anyway, uh, to get back to the playing question after the, the Brendan Brown detour, uh, although maybe that'll be our question we asked, ask under the YouTube uh, video today, uh, yeah. who, who should be the successor to Clyde eventually. Um, but at, at any rate, yeah, that play, you know, I, no matter whose fault it was, if it was if it was RJ's, if it was Julius's, it just kind of does speak to what you're talking about, where the Knicks just don't always seem to know what they're supposed to do on defense. And, you know, in, on that play, I thought, you know, you're down to about like two seconds or so left on the shot clock. Like Garland has the ball like he's getting locked up up there. I didn't see any world where he was going to come away with some miraculous like pull up triple. I just wouldn't see Julius doubling there anyway. So, you know, maybe it was RJ's responsibility, but maybe RJ just kind of wasn't expecting Julius to go double there because why would he? Like they're about to force a shot clock violation, get in position for the rebound, hopefully, you know, as long as Garland doesn't make some craziness, which he had in all game. He was uh, up until that final shot. He was very, very cold for pretty much the whole game. So that's why I think it was on Julius, but I do agree, you know, maybe RJ should have swung up to Wade then knowing like, hey, only two seconds left. There's not going to be enough time for, you know, Wade to make the extra swing pass to the corner. So my guy's effectively out of the play now. Uh, so I'm going to move up and, and try to get a hand up in his face. But, like, Wade also isn't a fantastic three-point shooter. But you still just, I mean, you can't leave him wide open. He was he was pretty good in this game from three. So it's certainly not. And, you know, bears a striking resemblance to Kevin Love from a distance. So, like, you know, maybe some of that juju rubbed off on him. Um I'll say, though, my, my other thing, and I mean, this kind of goes without saying, but the thing that the Knicks really need to figure out quickly, and then hopefully we could do the, the final segment all on positive things, because there were positives, I promise. But, like, the Knicks need to figure out this free throw problem, because now it is officially a problem. Like, there's there's no excuse for leaving 10 points on the table in a two-point game. You know, if they could have even made three more free throws, they literally win this game. And, you know, part of that's on RJ, like as great as RJ has been playing lately, he's shooting. I looked up his numbers earlier today and he over this kind of hot stretch, like which I just kind of filtered just for this month. He's been shooting like 43 or 44 percent overall, about 40 percent from three and 60, 67 or 68 percent or something like that. From the, It probably went down after this game from the free throw line. It's just it boggles the mind. I don't know how you could be a 40 percent three point shooter. And struggle as much as he has at the line. And that tells me it's mostly, it has to be mental. And, you know, everybody is. Julius is struggling from the free throw line. The usual suspects like Mitch, Noel, those guys are struggling. You know, it's it's just to me, if I'm Tibbs, it, you got to do something. You got to, like, go back to high school and do, like, the, the drills where everybody has to make 10 straight free throws before everybody can go home or something like that. Like, anything. You know, just get these guys, pump some noise into practice. You know, get these guys ready for high pressure free throws somehow or get their heads back on straight because it's now to the point where, you know, it, this game is the easiest one to point out. But if you go back and look at a number of their other losses recently, there were close losses. They left a lot of points on the, the table as far as free throws go. And, and that's got to stop if they want to, you know, turn the ship around and, and maybe make some sort of run to close the season here. I'm in total agreement with you. And I think um, I thought Brown's like maybe his best point on the game was, was talking about RJ and saying, look, like if RJ has aspirations of being an elite guy, that's an aspect of his game that is going to absolutely have to come around. Like he, I, I don't think 
or at least not in the foreseeable future. Like he's ever going to be like an elite, elite, elite finisher at the rim. And because of that, he has to win with craft. And and some nights craft is going to mean like against good defenders, it's going to mean that you're getting free throws instead of layups. And if you don't pay those off, um, you're not like getting into like the 23, 24 point per game territory that I think we'd all like to see RJ eventually be at on a consistent basis. So fair point by you. Fair point by Brendan. Um, uh, fair point. If you want to go make some money gambling, uh, check out Bet Online. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy. Bet the week. under on the Knicks free throws every game. There you go. That's. I mean, if if if, if you're wise, you you will certainly do just that. Uh, Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today. And receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. All you have to do is use our promo code locked on to get started from football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. And with that, Alex, we are back on Locked On Knicks. One final segment. Good vibes. All good vibes. We've, we've gotten we've gotten the negativity out of the room. Uh, and if we're going to talk positive, uh, let's start off with a guy we were just uh, going after a little bit. R.J. Barrett, 34 minutes, 24 points, five boards, four assists, two steals, nine of 16 from the field, one of four from three, which means, again, all positive. He went eight for 12 from two. I will not uh, reiterate his free throw numbers, um, but another, another really good R.J. game and another game where – Again, he showed off that combination of like athletic ability, like like consistently getting um, getting to the rack, getting free throws, making plays in transition, uh, multiple like really nice plays defensively, like jumping passing lanes, like having active hands, um, and, and then just like the craftiness. Like my my two favorite plays from him in this game came pretty late on, like where he had. Um, he got Evan Mobley, who, as we, we've noted um, on previous podcasts, already one of the best defenders in the NBA as a rookie and, and did uh, what, it, what has turned into a quintessential move for him where he does the spin into a pump fake, into a step through. And that just seems to torture like bigger players just because he, he it's like a rare instance where RJ, who's pretty tall in his own right, actually has leverage and the ability to get under a guy's arm. He did sort of the same thing against Dylan Windler, where he just beat him to the rim and then finished with the left hand on the right side. Uh, I just, I continue to love um, everything RJ Barrett. I know there've been moments like over the last like 10 or so games, like he had like over the next three game losing streak, all of a sudden he wasn't that guy anymore, but we're starting to see a more consistent picture emerge of a guy who knows how to impact the game. And and I saw this graphic today where they were outlining his stats with Kemba and without Kemba. And he's just been a, an infinitely better player when Kemba Walker sits so whatever's going on with that explicitly, I have some ideas, but we, we've sort of talked about them already in the pod, so I don't need to re-get into them. Uh, credit to him, I guess, for overcoming the presence of Kemba Walker in the starting lineup and still finding a way to have a great game. Yeah, and I mean, the the thing, those two finishes were exactly the ones that stood out to me too. The, <laughs> the one where he was going right and then somehow went under Windler, yeah. but then finished with his left, I... Even I watched like two, three replays of it, and I still could not figure out how he managed to make that work. It looked like he was going righty scoop and instead switched it to his left hand and somehow puts English on it going the reverse way of how your hand would normally go there and gets it to go high off glass and in. I'm just like the touch is getting insane with him on those those high glass uh, shots. And, you know, it's it's still 
to me is just so mind boggling. Like that he's one of the youngest players on the Knicks, still almost mathematically the youngest guy. I think I think Grimes has him beat by like two months or something. Um, but almost the youngest guy on the Knicks. And it, you know, it plays like late career Vince Carter, like the way that he it just gets into the the rim, you know, gets to the rim and, and the way that he finishes around there where he doesn't really get vertical at all. He kind of just does everything where he just is getting under guys and using his strength to sort of bully these guys that are six, seven inches taller than him and still finish around them. It's, it's really impressive to watch. Um, the, also the one with Mobley, you know, Mobley, the, there was obviously concerns coming into the league about, you know, his weight and his size and everything. And so he's still not quite there as far as being at his final size, obviously, because he's still a rookie, but, you know, we've seen RJ do this, not just to Mobley, but to bigger guys like Miles Turner and stuff too, where he's gotten so good at, you know, with that, that patented move on the inside now that, like you said, just kind of puts these, these bigs in the torture chamber where they're not sure when or where, or what he's going to do. If he's going to pull back for that little, uh, the little fadeaway, if he's going to try to just kind of duck under their arm and just go up for a layup, it, he has all kinds of different tricks for them, but especially on Mobley, it was really uh, stark seeing just how strong he is. And, you know, the fact that he's got the strength of someone probably six, seven inches taller than him in the frame of a, you know, a guard forward type player, like six, seven, uh, which is, is really awesome. Um, I will say for the next person that I want to highlight, uh, Quentin Grimes was just amazing. And, you know, I, I highlighted him in, after the last game too uh, and said, you know, Hey, he might not have played, you know, the best on the offensive end against the the Clippers. He just couldn't make shots, but his defense was great. This game, both ends, just phenomenal. I mean, you want to talk about Darius Garland having as bad of a game as he did, which just to go over his stats, six of 19 shooting, one of six from three. Obviously ends up with a double-double, 13 points, 12 assists. You know, but he's playing fantastic this year. He's still going to, you know, influence the game positively because he's, he's learned how to do that. But Grimes, I mean, in the one-on-one defense with him, there was not a screen that the Cavs could set that Grimes could not get skinny for and get around. And he just stuck to Garland like glue. And, and it was a beautiful sight. I mean, no matter who he was matched up against, but down the stretch, it was it was Garland. You know, he was the primary defender on Garland down the stretch. It was just amazing to watch. And then the, the shot making from Grimes too, you know, in this game ends up shooting uh, four for seven, four, six from three. For 12 points, he's a team high plus 21 off the bench. I mean, he earned every single one of those plus 21s in his 24 minutes out there. And I, I thought that, I mean, as great as RJ played in this game, I think if I was going to give out a game ball for this one, and we'll talk about Obi, I'm sure, in a second too, but if I was going to give out a game ball for this game, it would go to Grimes. I just thought, I mean, he's really turning into a special, special defensive player right before our eyes. And he's only a rookie still. So, I mean... I, presumably he can only go up and I would already say that he might at this particular juncture already be the best defender on this team without much of a, a debate for anybody else right now. At yeah. Least on the, at least on the perimeter. And I saw, I saw a guy, Ariel Pacheco making this case and I'm, I'm with it. And you and I have, I mean, we've been on this bandwagon for a long time. Like I certainly wouldn't mind seeing him in the starting lineup and Fournier getting some run with the bench. I still, I would still argue that would help Fournier and, and really like unlock, the aspects of his game that have been suppressed. And I, I think tonight was a good example of like when Kemba's healthy too, there's just not enough, like there's, there's one ball. <laughs> there's not enough time. There's not enough possessions to really get Fournier going and, and get him touches. And like, 
in, in the ways like he likes, like going to the rim and like getting him little floaters and stuff. While Grimes is just, I mean, he's lower maintenance, right? Like, like he is, he's who Tibbs craves to play off of Julius Randle. He's, he's rich man's Reggie Bullock um, or, or will be rich man's Reggie Bullock. He's, he's certainly not there defensively yet. As good, as good as he is now, I still say Reggie just because of that veteran savvy's ahead of him. He's a better shooter already. And, and he, the stuff he does um, off the bounce, like the passing, like again, like it feels like every game he throws a pass that make your like eyes just go like, whoa. Um, and like he had the little slip to Obi Toppin for the double pump finish. Um, and it's just, I mean, he, he's point guard instincts because that's, that's the position he played a good chunk of his life. And I, again, like I, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but every time I watch him play, I'm like, oh, this, this dude's like a little better than I thought he was. And like, I don't, I don't know where that stops. Like we might not, we might, I know for a couple of seasons, but he is, he is certainly a reason for optimism in what has been a tough run for the New York Knicks. And you mentioned Obi Toppin, uh, Obi Toppin, another reason for optimism uh, this season and tonight in particular, 15 minutes, 13 points, six boards, uh, most importantly, three of four from distance. And uh, I put this out there on Twitter and uh, Prez, who would be the, the reigning expert on, on Nick's player shooting forms, uh, backed it up. Uh, I, I said, has Obi changed his form three times this season? Like a lot of people respond, like he changes it like three times a game. And, and I've certainly seen that. And I can empathize with that. because I definitely do that when I'm playing basketball. Like if I make a shot, like a little weirdly to start a game, I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's how I should always shoot. And I feel like uh, that's not something a professional player should do. And we see that from Obi a lot tonight. I think it looked good because he, it was very simple. Like his base w- was just stable every time. And normally like most shot coaches will tell you like, it shouldn't be all arms, but I thought he just had enough like stability and consistently and consistency in that, that he could just sort of flick the ball. And, and normally it looks like he's really like thinking about every aspect of his shot. And when you're doing that, not a lot of them are going to go in. And, and I thought by simplifying, um, he found a lot of success in this game. And then on top of that, I mean, the the activity around the rim, like beat Kevin Love on a closeout for his first bucket of the game. And then I already mentioned um, the double clutch off, cutting off of uh, Grimes getting trapped. So uh, not nothing like insane or like spectacular for Obi, but this is the guy who could be playing a lot of minutes for the Knicks. Like, like I, he doesn't need to shoot 75% from three, but if he can shoot 35% from three, um, we, we've said it a bunch of times, but that totally transforms who he is as a player. Yeah, and you know, the other thing too is I just kind of felt like this game of all games, and I, I guess we sort of say this all the time, but this would have been one of those games where I would have thought that playing him and Randall would have worked pretty well together. And, you know, you mentioned like right at the end of the game, that would have been great to put Obi out there just to like fully space the floor. But I thought that Obi could have realistically played with Randall in this game because they were both able to get what they wanted on the rebounding end of things. And like the Cavs, other than when they had Kevin Love out there, who, I mean, still to this day, even at his advanced age and everything else is still, I mean, he had 20 points, 11 rebounds in 24 minutes, you know, in this game, he's still a great rebounder for, you know, for his age and, and depleted athleticism and everything else. So it may be a little difficult against him, but you know, because of the fact that Jared Allen wasn't playing in this game, you know, Ed Davis is not super uh, imposing and, you know, Mobley, as I already mentioned, you know, is still kind of, you know, he's a good rebounder, I think, given his dimensions, but his dimensions are favorable to a guy like Obi Toppin, who also doesn't have the most meat on his bones and struggles to sort of physically command rebounds, you know, so that's where Obi can, you know, not have to worry about getting boxed out into oblivion and can just worry about like, okay, can I get higher up than Evan Mobley for a rebound? And, you know, we've seen Obi, you know, in this game even, 
in 15 minutes snatched down six boards. You know, that was, I think, a really good rebounding performance from him too. I hope maybe Tim sees the light one of these days, you know, but I think that now that it seems like the center rotation is finally getting healthy and like, honestly, shout out to Taj Gibson and, and Nerlens Noel, who I thought both had pretty good games in this game as well, at least given their limitations. Um, Noel still is basically a zero on offense, but really was able to do some stuff on D um, for the second straight game and, and looks a lot more spry, but I thought this would have been the time to, to maybe give, uh, give Obi a little try as a, a small ball five. And once again, just for whatever reason, the Knicks are not trying it. Um, but Gavin, I, I don't really know if I have anybody else that stood out to me positively. Just mentioned Noel and, and Taj. Uh, you know, I, I, I am really happy that Noel seems to kind of have his groove back um, and, and is back to looking physically imposing again. Like he, he can get up now again. Like I did notice the one thing that was, different with him in this game uh, that maybe showed through a little bit in the Clippers game too, but you know, was a hallmark of last year was he sort of had his like, uh, uh, like Kung Fu movie, like just bring it style back, you know, where it kind of seems like he lays in wait. And then at the last moment, as guys start coming in goes, Oh yeah, try me, you know, and jumps up and, and tries to block them. Um, and, you know, he, he didn't succeed with any, blocks in this game on the record though I, I thought I remembered him getting one but he succeeded in altering a ton of shots that way in this game and I thought that was great to see from him yeah the Knicks I mean they, they got a they got a layup on one play literally just because he jumped straight up in the air and Garland freaked out and basically threw it off the top of the backboard so mm-hmm. I think it's it was good to have him back and I mean part of uh what really benefited the Knicks is the Cavs didn't have um Jared Allen they didn't have Lowry marketing in this game um crazy that the Cavs were missing I mean like three starters when you include Colin Sexton and they're still this good. Um, so shout out to the Cavs very quickly. Um, but yeah, I thought Nerland's like held his own and my concerns about like Mitch being out were a little overblown. Um, if Mitch continues to miss time later in the week, I think again, Nerland's will get some real challenges against Giannis and bam, but that is a conversation for another day. Alex, unless you have anything else to add, I think we can wrap up right there. Nope. I think that's it for today's episode. Uh, I did just want to let everybody know, uh, that the NBA trade deadline is Thursday, February 10th at 3 p.m. Eastern and Locked on NBA will be covering it live from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Join Kim Becker, John Corrales, Locked on Fantasy Basketball host Josh Lloyd and NBA veteran Antonio Daniels and maybe us if the Knicks make a trade uh, and get analysis of every blockbuster move. Subscribe to Locked on NBA's YouTube and turn your notifications on so you know when they go live. Maybe do the same for us too. You know, while you're there, if you're going to be subbing to the Locked on NBA, sub to Locked on Knicks, too, if you haven't already. But until next time, thank you guys all for listening. We'll be back with, speaking of trade deadline, some uh, good trade deadline approaching content because we know that everybody's thirsty for that sort of stuff right now. So we got some of that coming up this week, plus a couple more game recaps, loaded week for you guys uh, this week with probably six episodes. So keep your ears out, keep your eyes out if you're on YouTube. But thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you all next time. Peace out.